May 26, 2022. Lights, camera, action. For guys that love hearing about old St. Louis restaurants, this is your sweet spot. Bill Kuntz recently sold his Highway 61 Roadhouse. He gave us Hoolands, Hooters, dare say Union Station. I enjoyed this conversation. Welcome back, Overtimers. If you are new, my name is David Oliver, and this is my playground, Overtime with Oliver. Back from Boston, thing two, graduation. That town never disappoints. Good eats, good times. Be wary of the guy trying to overdose on the tea. Other than that, I look forward to coming back. Trump hates Georgia. Georgia hates Trump. Keep an eye on Pennsylvania. Mrs. Nancy Crampton Proffy, hope I pronounced that right, made millions on her novel, How to Kill Your Husband. Can't make this up. Four years later, after the book got published, convicted for killing her husband. 30 Things You Should If You Have Not on Netflix The Hall. Seems Netflix is creating their own Comedian Hall of Fame. We'll see how long that lasts. But good first class, Carlin, Williams, Pryor, and Joan Rivers. Number two, Blues, round three. Oh, wait. Time to thank the sponsors. How can you tell somebody they are vital in your life? How about a customized engraved water bottle? V-I-D-L-L-I-F-E, V-I-D-L-L-I-F-E dot com. Oliver at checkout saves you 10%. Proceeds go to fixing our foster care program. And if you want to start your own podcast, we do all the work. You have all the fun. OT with Oliver at gmail.com to get started. Lastly, if you like this episode, you'll probably like previous ones with Andy Candy. Paul Mano, Gus's Pretzels, and more. Bill Kuntz. Bill recently sold Highway 61 Roadhouse after an adult lifetime running restaurants in St. Louis. I love seizing the opportunity to spotlight somebody everybody should know. And by the way, I've known the guy for about 30 years. He's a good dude. Hoolands. Hooters. Bringing Cajun back to the loo. Spent $17,000 to lose 200 pounds. He's living large and in charge. Welcome to the Overtime family. Welcome. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver. With my dad. Tell your friends. I didn't know I had 45 minutes worth of info in me. (laughs) How are you enjoying retirement, man? I haven't retired yet. I thought I uh, tell me more. Well, I mean, I've I've sold the restaurant and uh, I'm helping the new owners out this week, last week, and then going forward on some busier days. But retirement is uh, hasn't happened. I mean, I'm going to take some time off and then probably September, October back jump back into something part time. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, Finally, at the point of life, doing something I want to do instead of I had to do. And I can say, nah, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to. You're going to run the Tour de France? Uh, I wish I had (laughs) a tenth of the ability to do that. 
That so, is the only sporting event I watch is the Tour de France. Have you ever been? No, never been to Europe. I've been to uh, Paris, Illinois. Is there a Paris, Illinois? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> if you say there is. There's a Paris, <laughs> Texas. I know there's a Paris, Texas. Okay, I've been there. I don't know that I have. but. So here's how this came about. I've had the podcast for about a year and a half. I knew we were going to, I was going to reach out and hopefully have an opportunity to uh, capture the Bill Kuntz story. <laughs> I'm in Boston, right? My kid's uh -huh. graduating. And amongst the three hours of very inspirational moving speeches, chuckle, chuckle, I'm going through STL and I see that you sold the place. And I'm like, well, now's the perfect time to talk to Bill before he heads off into the sunset. And nobody gets to talk to him again. So congratulations on selling the place, and thanks again for the time. Well, thank you for uh, having me. All right, so let's do a little bit of a backdrop. Grew up in St. Louis near the hill, right? Close to it? Well, uh, as I like to say, East St. Louis Hills. I grew, grew up on in Gravoy and Hampton, and I went to St. Rayfield's grade school. And we always said west of Hampton were the rich kids, and us poor kids lived on the east side of Hampton, so we called it East St. Louis Hills. I think my favorite place in that area growing up was uh, the Rumas Deli around there, right? Well, there there was one at uh, Hampton. That'd be more uh, Gabriel's Parish. Hampton, uh, north of donovan i'm gonna say it's been a long time since i had a prosperity well you can still get one at cummington plaza off of uh lee may ferry free plug have you gone to circa st louis yet off of manchester in 270 i was there right when they first opened when the guy who owns it now did not open it but right I tom owned it before now jamie owns it now yeah i was out there because actually in highway 61 there's a falstaff sign that circus st louis had the back half of oh okay they got a good prosperity that's why i brought it up okay all right they got the famous bar french onion soup and we're just plugging for free it's no reason <laughs> but it's good all right so in St. Louis, where'd you go to high school? I don't know. Bishop DeBerg. Nice. And what yeah. was the graduating year, Mr. Kuntz? 78. 78. 78. 495 of us, and now they have less than 250 in their whole school. And you were a football stud at Bishop DeBerg? Defined stud. I played football <laughs> at Bishop DeBerg. Good enough to get a scholarship to UNLV, right? Yeah, went to UNLV on a football scholarship. And did we think we were going to be a pro? Doesn't every high school kid think they're they going to be a pro athlete? <laughs> uh, you know, and that was a big decision in choosing UNLV. They they had a, a pro offense, and they were putting a fair amount of guys in the NFL at the time because in 78, before satellites and all that, uh, the scouts would like to visit Las Vegas. It was good, fun for them. You got a good recruitment story? Somebody offer you a billion dollars under the table? Uh, no, but I guess 
one of the cool things was in grade school and first two years of high school, one of my best friends, Mike Daly, uh, this junior year of high school, he moved to Las Vegas. His father became the uh, president of the uh, Aladdin Hotel at the time. Hmm. So uh, I had some nice things at the Aladdin Hotel as a college kid. Is that good put? Yeah, that's, I know where that was going. I understand. Okay. <laughs> no, I went to Vegas one time for a basketball game. The Tark Center was happening. Was it happening when you were there? Well, when I first went there, I mean, Tark was the coach. They played in the uh, convention center, a 6,600-seat uh arena so reggie theus graduated i think in 77 nice. and that's when they became really right big so um the the school college kids didn't get many tickets to the games i mean i think you had to donate ten thousand dollars to get into a raffle to get tickets or something like that <laughs> jump change uh but it just so happened that I became a friend of a guy who was an equipment manager on the basketball team, and I tended to go to a fair amount of basketball games. I am not shocked that Bill found an angle. And then in – I forget when they built the Thomas and Mac Arena. Um, so that was the big on-campus uh, basketball facility, but that was later in who knows when. Yeah, because maybe 80s or something. Late 80s, when that's when I was there. Missouri was good. UNLV had like a, I don't know, lost one home game in a decade. And what was really fun was they turned the lights off and they'd have that shark circle the stands, you yeah. know, the, the diagram of the, of the shark. And True Tark, he locked Missouri out of their locker room. So they had to sit there amongst all the fireworks and all the noise before the game started. What do you what do you mean true tark? I I, I don't I don't understand <laughs> that, sir. What do, what do you mean? Just looking for an angle. Everybody's looking for an angle, man. That's all. Well Tark's angle, See the story tark angle, Tark's angle was uh he used to get all the players that uh, I don't want to say misfits, but didn't fit in well other places. And he won. He won a bunch of ball games. Yeah, yeah. And then Spoonhauer went out there not long after him. That's right. I had forgotten that. Hm. Yeah, and Spoonhauer's son, Spoonhauer got sick, and his son went out there for a while. Was huh. our, His son was an assistant and took over for, for a while. How long has it been since you were back in Vegas? Oh, uh, it's probably been seven or eight years. But, you know, a funny thing, when I was out there, there was a huge number of St. Louis baseball players out there. Uh, God, I forget the coach's name. Had a uh, in with uh, Les, I think his name was Les Nesman. He was a coach at Merrimack. So a guy I see now on the bike trail all the time, Dan Murphy was out there, TJ Sauer, Matt Williams, uh, Stottlemyre. There was a ton of St. Louis 
kids that played it at Merrimack for two years and then went out to UNLV to play baseball. Les Nesman? Yeah, he left. He le- I think that was his name. He left uh, Merrimack and went to Washington University. Hey, Bill, I swear I thought turkeys could fly. Huh. Because that's so WKRP, little less Nesman. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a long yeah. way for a bad joke, but we got that. It, it, yeah, and it was bad. So <laughs> it wasn't worthy of uh, recognition. So, yeah, that was uh, – so at the time I was out there, there was a fair amount of St. Louis. Uh, Dan Sauer was another kid um, that played. But I think he was, like, from Maryland but went to Merrimack and then UNLV. So there was, there was a lot of kids that had – St. Louis ties out there. In that time, Merrimack would produce a pitcher about every third season, maybe even every other season they'd have somebody drafted. Yeah, I think at one time the Cardinals had six or seven UNLV players on their roster. Mm-hmm. So, so we get the diploma from UNLV, correct? In, in only seven and a half years. I like to refer UNLV as Harvard of the West, but yes, I did get my diploma. What was your game? Did you have a game? Did craps, blackjack? Did I have a game? Um, I did not. Uh, I had a, uh, you know, go out and hang out and do that kind of thing, lifestyle. Worst things, man. There are worse things. You got to cram it all as fast as you can into that seven and a half years. It sounds like a lot, but it's not that long. No, it's not really. It's only a small segment of our life. So you get back to St. Louis. Now, I read something, Bill. Your grandfather was a chef. Is that correct? My grandfather, yes. Who else was a chef in your family? No one. Uh, Going back, uh, so at 14, a buddy of mine was a busboy at Lemons. Sure. And... At the end of the night, he had cash in his pocket. The cooks would get him beer, and he could steal a little roast beef and bread. And I thought, man, there's no better job in this world. That's for me. (laughs) So I told my dad I was going to get a job at at Lemons. And he said, no kid of mine will ever work in a restaurant. So he stuck me at Fettelhofer's Bakery scrubbing floors until – I left to go to college and then I went to college um, for some reason besides being a pro football player, I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> uh, so after my freshman year, I moved into an apartment out of the dorm because UNLV was really like Omsel, a commuter college. Okay. So there was only like 200 beds on campus. So I moved to an apartment. I didn't have a car. My roommate had a car. He was a hotel restaurant major. So I became a hotel restaurant major in order to stay eligible for football. Much to your father's delight. Much to my father's delight. Yeah. <laughs> so t- uh, that I finished my degree. And while I was out there, I was recruited by Gilbert Robinson, which at the time owned Hands and uh, Bristol's. They had like seven different restaurants in St. Louis. And it was really, really time for me to get out of Vegas. And I needed to come home. <laughs> you needed to see a clock. You needed to see the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I make a mean Houlihan mushroom imitation. 
stuffed mushrooms with Absolutely. cheese and yeah or do you fake it with cream cheese and ranch dressing there is no fakie there is no fakie oh you're really alouette cheese huh? go big or go home baby what do yeah. you do yeah. so you're at hula hands you're in the restaurant business we met each other at hooters and um, we'll get to that down the road but what i found interesting was right off the bat you're kind of you didn't take entry-level jobs. You found your way into what I would consider to be jobs people aspired to get, and you got them kind of right away. Am I reading that right? Well, yeah. I mean, I wasn't a young kid when I came back, and at the time, you know, Hulahan, the Hulahan Union Station was the number one restaurant in the company of, of Gilbert Robinson's Hulahans. I mean, 86, we were killing it down at Union Station. Union Station just opened. It was a place to be. So, you know, got a lot of experience in volume and uh, went to Indianapolis with them, came back. And I worked. started with the Hyatt Hotels and I opened Powerhouse Billiards and Diner in Union Station. Um, it was where the old Whitey Herzog's was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Across the parking lot. Right. So I like to say I did three tour of duties at Union Station, Houlihan's Powerhouse, and then Hooters. <laughs> so yeah, I did I did that, and then I left there, and uh, then I joined the Calicos guys. Uh, they were getting ready to open Club Riverport out at the Riverport Amp by the Riverport Amphitheater. So I opened that up and was there, and then left there for a gaming company after that. So what did you do at Riverport? I mean, did you, was it concessions? No, 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 no. Uh, next to Double Tree Hotel was a freestanding restaurant. It was called Club Riverport. When we, we first year, first year we opened it, it was just a restaurant. Got it. And uh, we were there. And then the next year we opened a nightclub behind it. So it was, it was a, a pretty big doing out there. Were you a jazz guy back then too? A jazz guy? I've never been a jazz guy. You like non-traditional. You like, like yeah. in, in in the Roadhouse, you've got your New Orleans sound. I thought I, I thought for sure I'd been to a couple jazz sessions at the Roadhouse. I could be wrong. We've we've had some jazz bands, but I'm not a jazz person. Um, my ADHD doesn't allow me to like like jazz. I need a four <laughs> minute song and then to move on. <laughs> do you play an instrument uh i tried the drums for two years and as my drum teacher said i'm the white guy at the black church clapping on one and three instead of two and four <laughs> i like that guy he <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. took my money for two years and then uh gave me the boot and, and then said I, I just in good conscience i can't take it anymore you gotta yeah. go yeah. you know he he, he was kind of like that trainer at the gym with the fat girl oh you're doing really really good now sign this next 13 week commitment <laughs> i'll let you be on the record for that so okay. <laughs> uh, neil pert you were not i guess is what we're saying no no i was not no i was not not even close so i met you when i was hosting the cardinals post game show from the hooters at union station correct and Looking back on it now, and I'm not talking me too and all that crazy crap. I'm just saying it had to have been difficult. How old were you at that time? 
Oh, I went to Hooters in 90, so 30 years old, 31 years old. How much was running a restaurant and how much was babysitting and keeping the girls away from trouble? It was uh, 90% babysitting. I think so. Yeah, it was. And I didn't think about it at the time, but as you know, so we hooked up over the weekend. You know, I gave half an hour, a good half hour, Bill. And okay. thinking about what I was going to talk about, and now as a father, and now as you know, somebody who has a little bit of perspective, you had, I don't know, man, two dozen girls under the age of twenty-four in a restaurant where guys absolutely came with money and an attitude, and you were kind of the bouncer or the babysitter. And I never thought of it that way, but I do now. And many times I had to babysit the guys more than the girls. I think so. Yeah, because they, I mean, I was like, we're doing the show, right? And the waitresses, we had trade and we had our own little thing going on. But we'd be there after the restaurant had officially closed because we were still doing the show. And there'd be these 40-year-old dudes hanging out at the (laughs) bottom of the steps. And I was like... They were there to meet you, not not the uh, girls. They were waiting for the girls. They were there for you, David. No, that's a different perspective I hadn't even thought about before. But, I mean, it was something. I mean, you couldn't do that now. And um, I knew I was going to ask you what that must have been like, because that was back in the day where that place was hopping. And it was it was a different it was different than anything else. And it'll probably never be that way again. It, it was, it was, uh, uh, you know, when I got in there, the things we did, like, so Union Station opened, then we opened West County, and then we opened uh, Manchester, and then we opened South County. Well, you know, we would rent a limo and take some of the girls out drinking at nighttime to go to nightclubs to recruit other Hooter girls. Right. And that's what we did. And, you know, uh, that was expected and that's what's happened. And, you know, I I mean, yeah, it was. So when I finally left there, probably 80% of my time was spent doing sexual harassment uh, uh, investigations. And it was like, I'm not spending my rest of my life doing this. Don't give me a name, but give me a story of a celeb where you had to be like, pump the brakes, man. This is this is not your night. Well, I think I think one of the best stories ever was uh, the NRA National Rodeo Association was in time and this champion bull rider was in there and he rang up this big tab and he didn't have any money. So I said, I'll tell you what, leave that belt buckle with me. And I'll cover your tab and you come back and pay your tab. I'll give your belt buckle back. And I never so much hoped that he would never show up because, man, I would look good in this big old champion (laughs) rodeo buck bronco belt buckle. But he did show up and, uh, you know, he got it back. And then, you know, it was it was uh, it was a unique uh, situation. You know, everybody wanted to be there. Again, Union Station was still hot and still going and still strong. And, and uh, you know, uh, 
you know, the boys from KC would always be in there. Um, you know, all the baseball players, you know, even when Hands. so back at Hands in 86. So in 81, my college roommate, Art Plunkett gets drafted by the, uh, Rams in, in Los Angeles, plays years with them and then gets traded to St. Louis. Hmm. So he's playing for the, uh, St. Louis Cardinals in 82, 82, 83, so on and so forth. He played five years here. And I come back and, you know, we're really close. You know, we were roommates in college, so I started hanging out with him. So all the football Cardinals used to come to Houlihan's after the games and that stuff. And they did some legendary things in there. And uh, um, so then he was traded to the, the Patriots, uh, the year they played the uh, Bears in the Super Bowl down in New Orleans. So, you know, there was always Union Station was the spot. So all the athletes, uh, I can't remember the one. There was a, uh, he was a goon that played for the Blackhawks. Uh, not Durban, I forget what his name was, but he would always come over there and was a drunken idiot and you know you'd have to convince him that what he was going thinking of doing wasn't good for his future career <laughs> i can tell you to this day i eat my chicken wings a certain way because you showed me how you're supposed to eat a chicken wing how to eat a flapper yeah one move and you can get all the meat off of it you got to man <laughs> you know the other thing that was interesting too and then we'll move on what was as, as the guy who was co it was Rammer and Fish, uh, Hadley'd come by, free food, any free food, Hadley'd be there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was always humbled, is not the right word, but when you had the rookies on the show and the show was over, they had nowhere to go. And you would think these people would have all their friends and all the people wanting to be around them, but they really didn't especially if they were in their first year or two. Did you get that when athletes would show up that they were just looking to be somewhere, not in their hotel? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, it was visiting teams were the same way. And, and, uh, you know, if they were in town for two, three days, they'd, they'd want to get out and see the town and do whatever. And, uh, you know, one of the first guys, and he really was a St. Louis guy was, uh, Bernard Gilkey. Right. You know, he, he's come in a lot. And, uh, but, you know, yeah, uh, John Costello was another one, relief pitcher. So they would, they would uh, do whatever. So, yeah, they were looking for some place. And, you know, the girls would swoon over them because they were a pro athlete. And they felt the importance that they thought they were. And the wallet. And the wallet, yes, yes. <laughs> you got a good Hooters golf tournament story you can tell me? Uh, that I can tell you? That you can no. tell <laughs> I had, I had plenty of it. But I always summed up going into Hooters is like going to the Mercedes dealership and putting dollars in the hubcaps. You're not going to get one anyway, so why bother? <laughs> I've A, never heard that, and B, I'm not going to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, it was quite interesting, but you know, I had spent 
three years in Vegas in the adult entertainment industry, not as a movie star. And so I was kind of used to it and just accepted it. So you're at Hooters for five years, give or take. Yep. And what'd you do after that? Uh, I went to work for a company called uh, Gaming Development to uh, do gaming boats in secondary cities, Dubuque, Iowa, and that. And then I started Growlers, and then I went down. While I was doing Growlers, went to Miami and did a casino, uh, cruise ship in Miami called Casino Miami, and then came back and did Growlers some more. I always get a little nervous when it's been a while since I've seen somebody, and I ask them, how's Pepe doing? Uh, he's doing fine. He's out at Cedar Lake Cellars. Still. Uh, Working for Carl, who uh, owns Growlers, and uh, I think he just turned 56. A funny uh, uh, story at Hooters was, so Pepe's a kitchen manager at Union Station, and, you know, I mean, we didn't pay much at at Hooters. We just let you have the good feeling that, boy, you got to be around all these Hooter girls and that, so... Pepe's a kitchen manager at Hooters, and I come on as this manager trainee. Well, with the intention that I'm going to be the general manager of Union Station. And so Pepe treats me like any other dog. uh, You're like undercover boss. What? You're like undercover boss. Yeah. (laughs) And and once it's over and I say... Uh, well, you know, I'm your general manager now. He was like, oh, shit. And we had a great relationship. So he went, he left Tudors and went to Growlers with me. And uh, we'd been a lot of places. Growlers was a microbrewery or at least a tap beer place before they were all over the place. Yeah, we started in 96. Uh, 32 drafts, 99 bottles. I know, that's quaint, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and our claim to fame at the time was we did no Anheuser-Busch products. And, and one time, uh, Augie the Fourth came in and one of the uh, servers gloated about that. And boy, it wasn't pretty. Hey, Bill, were the beers on the wall? Yes, they were. There were 32 on the wall and 99 in the cooler. That's the second bad joke. I got one more in me, so just be patient. Okay. All right. And I know that restaurateurs, uh, chefs, hate when I say the following, but in addition to the ambiance, in addition to the burgers, Growlers had the best fries in St. Louis. Holy cow, fries. The best fries? They had the best fries in St. Louis. I know you hate it when well, I say that. Yeah. I think I think it, at Growlers, oh, at Hooters had the best fries? Or no. Hooters, wings, growlers, fries. fries. Yeah, I, I'd say growlers. Um, we were ahead of the gastro pub uh, mm-hmm. thing. Um, you know, we did a lot of things you weren't supposed to do. And, uh, you know, it's kind of always been my model. If I'm told no, I just need to try harder and do it anyway. Now, were you still involved with growlers when that storm came through no uh that was new year's eve i had i left growlers 
in July of 2005. Uh, we bought we bought the old Edge down at uh, on Lafayette Square. Okay. Uh, and uh, we were going to make it the uh, <clears throat> Lafayette Town Hall, and we were under construction in may and was supposed to open the first weekend was a rams labor day weekend rams home game and uh uh that prax air fire happened remember at the uh, gas canister place i don't know if you remember that and it came down on your place right two two of those canisters landed on the roof and there was guys on the roof working on air conditioning and there are guys inside working on the inside and I'm at home trying to pass a kidney stone in my bed and I'm watching my new restaurant burn to the ground. And that was one of the happiest days of your life, right? No, passing the kidney stone three days later was <laughs> when I heard that little ting in the cup that came out. All right. I'll trust you on that one. We'll be fine. <laughs> okay. I, uh, Bill, are you married? Yep. How long have you been married? 38, 39 years, 39 years. Dude, for a guy who hasn't run family restaurants, like an Italian restaurant or a Greek restaurant or, you know, a family restaurant to be in the restaurant business and stayed married. What's the secret to that success? That's extremely rare. Now the, the family restaurants, it's not rare for the non-family restaurants. Dude, you are like less than 2% of people who can talk about this. It's a uh, very uh, understanding wife. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, you're always working nights. You're working weekends. Uh, it's a holiday. You're working. Uh, you know, in the old days when I drank, you get off at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. You drink till 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. You get home and. And and she used to work at Fed Offers Bakery, so she had to be home, be leave for work at five. So I had to be home by five, or Lord knows when I would be home. <laughs> she took your mopping job. What? Yeah, she took the job mopping the floors that you had when you were growing up. Yeah, yeah, she did. She was a store. Well, she was there when I was there. Uh, she was a store manager, older woman. You know, I was seventeen. She was twenty-one. Could buy me liquor. Everybody likes a good proposal story. You got a good proposal story? Uh, no, it wasn't a good proposal. Uh, we, uh, well, I mean, we were, were going to get married. I came, I was in Vegas at the time. She was here. I came home. Uh, her ring came in, and my buddy Art called me that night and said, hey, I got tickets to go to the keel for a wrestling match <laughs> uh him and i were going to be pro wrestlers and uh so i gave her a ring and i said oh i gotta go out with art tonight so uh yeah not not the best i'm romantic isn't in my uh top of the line but you saw harley race so it all worked out uh actually that night was um uh Baron von Roski, the claw. Yeah. And I got a picture of myself with him that night, and it's legendary. Legendary. So. 
Uh, we had Ed Wheatley on. Have you seen his book about wrestling at the Chase? I I have. Uh, I, I've think? seen it. I didn't read it. Um, being a UNLV grad, I'm not a good reader, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> too many he- hits to the head. So, but quick witted. Yeah. See, so it evens out. Yeah, yeah. All right. So walk me through. I love the Roadhouse. I haven't been there as much as i love it two things i like about it extremely unique for st louis there really isn't like another place that i compare it to when i think of st louis the other thing is when you talk about bristol bristol's by the way might have the best sunday brunch but it's a little pricey like like you talk about fighters you know who pound for pound was the best fighter for the money I think the Roadhouse has the best Sunday brunch in town. So talk to me, if you wouldn't mind, about what you were trying to accomplish when he opened it and and why that brunch is so different, unless it's just me and you're like, David, we just threw some shit together. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, so the thought of Highway 61 was that... Um, you know, the food and music that goes from St. Louis to New Orleans, um, you know, they all kind of blend together. Uh, there's also a huge amount of uh, veto power in Cajun. Uh, people say, oh, it's too spicy. Well, it's really not too spicy. It's savory. It's unfortunately people think if it's Cajun, it's got to be hot. Well, it doesn't have to be. So the styles of cooking blend together. Uh, the music was important to us, uh, you know, to gain another day part in the business, to take it past the 8, 9 o'clock uh, menu, uh, mealtime. So that was a lot of the thought. I always was interested in the Cajun cooking style, um, you know. And then the Sunday brunch was we decided we wanted to open on Sundays. And it was how could we distinguish ourselves on Sundays versus a lot, you know, down the street is Weber's front row. Well, they were open on Sunday and so and so else was open on Sunday. So, so the brunch, uh, Houlihan's was a big brunch spot, and we did a lot of brunch there. And uh, uh, so I wanted to bring the brunch into here. It was also a way for us to uh, show off our cooking style. It was a way for us to try new menu items. And, and pricing-wise, we made the decision that we wanted to be something that just like the rest of the restaurant wasn't a special occasion restaurant was something somebody could afford to come to two, three times a month. You know, some restaurants, you know, I, I, I look at it now and, and I see, you know, so-and-so is doing $45 Easter brunch. Well, right. God, can I really eat enough at Easter brunch to justify $45, <laughs> you know? And then they're $18.95 for kids who's going to have two chicken fingers and a scoop of macaroni and cheese. Well, and the other so, thing I like about your brunch is you can take the Cajun 
and combine it with the regular stuff that you get. So it's not just one only Cajun or one only what you're used to. You you got both options, but you can combine the both to make a different dish. Yeah. So it, it you know, it, it, it's, it's worked out well for us. Sunday brunch has been a big, big thing for us. All right. So, so I say October 4th. What do you say? October 4th. Um, I had a heart attack on October 4th in 2000. Uh, let's see. It'll be 10 years ago, 2012. You look great, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, so on that day, I had gastric bypass in the morning and a heart attack that afternoon. Explain to me the the bypass stuff. So for people who don't know, this is not a common surgery as I understand it. There's like 10 guys on the planet that can do this. You were over 400 pounds, give or take. Go ahead. I was 460 at the time I had it. Um, Dude, 460 is a lot. Yeah. Uh, I stopped playing. I played football at 320 and forgot to stop eating. All right. so the the type of surgery I had, mini gastric bypass, uh, was I had it done in um, Joplin, Missouri. At the time, there were only two guys in the country doing this kind. Uh, Rich LaRusso at LaRusso's had it. He had it before I did. Rest in peace. Uh, what? Rest in peace. Yeah. A legendary broadcaster in st louis had it and my understanding since someone else in his family has had it uh and then i had it and um you know it was you know food was a huge part of my life at that time the scariest thing was that you had to give up soda and i was a 12 pack a day soda guy (laughs) and uh uh, that was the scariest part, but so I went, so it wasn't the it. surgery. It wasn't going under the knife. The scariest part was you couldn't drink your Coca-Cola. Well, you, you know, the, the, well, this diet barks root beer actually. Okay. Um, it, it, it was, it was also scary that I, I feared that if this doesn't work, am I mentally going to be able to handle that? Sure. And, and, uh, you know, so I went and had the surgery, Rich LaRue, you know, and it was out of, at the time, $17,000 out of my pocket to have it done. And, uh, Rich LaRusso, yeah, Rich LaRusso says, uh, well, you'll save that in the first year from what you don't eat. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I went and had it done and I'm sitting in the recovery room in the recovery room. And I said, Hey, uh, doc, feels like an elephant on my chest he said oh that's just gas building up in your inside and about 10 minutes later i said doc the second elephant just got on and that's when i had my heart attack and Mm. and the scary thing was we were in joplin and uh you you had to stay there there within two hours of of joplin for a week in case you had any complications. So it was just me and my wife and Joplin. We were going to go to Tulsa because my 
daughter at the time was at Oklahoma State Medical School in Tulsa. And, you know, that was going to be our arrangement. Well, my wife's like, hey, he was supposed to be out an hour ago. He's supposed to be out an hour and a half ago. He's supposed to be out two hours ago. And then they finally came out and said, hey, you know, uh, he had a heart attack. And, you know, it's Joplin, Missouri. I'm in a hotel in a hospital that was a makeshift hospital after the great uh, tornado down there. And, you know, the only heart surgeon got off at five that afternoon and it's five thirty. Right. So, uh, so it, I got a stint and we made it. We're here to talk about it today. And not to be corny, but um, where do you get the discipline to keep it on track? I have no discipline. I, I am a sugar holic. Uh, I only you still eat do the dinner. jelly beans. Do you still eat the jelly oh, beans? black jelly beans, man. Right. Oh, I'm the single largest consumer in the world of black jelly. You beans. were back in the day. I remember that. Um, I, uh, yeah, I become a sugar holic, which isn't good because I'm a type two diabetic. Um, and I only did, I only eat my meal so that I can have dessert. Um, but you know, it's, it's been the biggest, I would never have made it this far without it. Um, I fortunately have taken up cycling and, um, it's kind of been my savior for my bad diet. So, uh, you know, and justifies the means, man, you're fine. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But you know, it's, the, the gastric bypass is only one tool and you just got to use it right and that kind of stuff. When did you decide to go all ZZ Top? Um, well, to get my gastric, the day after I graduated from high school, I started growing facial hair. I had facial hair until I had my operation on October 4th, 2010. And then I started growing it back and then... Uh, I don't know, about five, six years ago, Tom Coghill, rest, rest in soul, peace, yeah. says to me, well, why don't you go all the way? And and then I started growing this. And then every time somebody tells me they don't like it, I just grow it longer. <laughs> Maybe I'm, I, I want to be like Mike Emerson. You know, you mentioned Tom, Iron Barley, for people who don't know. Both of you guys were on Triple D. Were you on before him or after him? He was on before me, and he actually nominated us for it. So I am not in Missouri at the time. I'm a Triple D guy, by the way. I used to be a big geek. Now I'm just, when I've got the Marcy time, geek. yeah, I'm a geek. And, you know, I've been to maybe 12, 20 different Triple D places. And what's really interesting to me like in Boston, we went to them. When I was in Baltimore, we went to... They all have the little guy picture next to the dish that they made when the show aired. I don't remember seeing that on your menu, but I remember you and I had a, a small conversation on you still to this day see a bump when that episode aired. Yeah, so Triple D, you know, is, is a thing. I had never seen the show before. And before they came and filmed, my wife made me watch it so I would have an idea of it. Uh, now, it's it's incredible what it does for business. People follow it. People do whatever. 
And, you know, and Guy is a UNLV graduate also. Right. So I think I got a little extra love. I got three items on the show where one's usual, two is lucky, three is whatever. And it's still, the show still showed 11 times last year. And it's 12 years old. So we filmed the show in June of 2012. I had my operation in October, almost die. And then in December 10th of 2012, it first aired. Did you have the surgery because you didn't like what you were seeing on that Triple D episode? It did. I did. It was like I uh, was struggling to do what I had to do in the kitchen and that kind of stuff. And and I knew that if I was going to make it, I needed to do something. All right, not to put you on the spot. Last conversation we had was about the pandemic. Uh, let me ask you this uh, before I do that. You had a really interesting take about how the St. Louis taxi public transportation system sucks and how it's hard for people to get in and out to places like your restaurant. Is this ringing a bell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. elaborate. Tell me more about your perspective. Because I, I, I had not thought of it that way, but I thought whenever we talked about it that I was like, oh, man, I never thought about it that way. Well, you know, it, it's changed with Uber, but but before Uber, you know, uh, you know, taxi cab drivers were only concerned on taking people from the airport to downtown, downtown to Westport. They wanted the big ticket. Nobody wanted to do the little ticket. Mm-hmm. And and typically we would be a little ticket from Clayton and so on and so forth. So, you know, being being from Vegas where a you know, two block cab drive was, was normal. I thought that should be normal. And it, it just wasn't in this market. It, it really, uh, you know, and I think in most big cities, it is that way, but in St. Louis, we just never caught on to that. You know, the one thing I did find in Boston was Uber, Lyft, whomever, they're right there. Right. I mean, you, you log in and you got seven options. And they don't care if it's a small ticket or a, a big ticket. They all just want the gig. Yeah. And, and, and St. Louis, you know, before that, it was they sat at the, uh, you know, at the big hotels downtown. They sat at the airport. And, you know, and, and I think really what this town needs is a trolley. Well, maybe not. But, a, <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially if it only runs during the summer and it can't be a really long ride like two miles give or take i think that'll be perfect and it goes to one of the top tourist attractions the history museum who in the hell has been to the hit don't go to the zoo or art museum where people go go to the history museum and i I doubt you've listened to this podcast but the thing that kills me is who put the damn thing in the middle of the road and let's let's order a third trolley that the wheels don't fit the track. There you go. They go round and around. See, that's the third yeah. bad joke right there. The wheels yeah. on the bus go round and round. Bill, COVID, we're getting ready to wrap up. Appreciate the time. And again, if I may, may I say thank you for your kindness and mm, your generosity or just you made it really easy for a young guy to do this show at Hooters and feel like 
we weren't getting pushed out the door and we weren't bothersome to what you had going on. Cause I'm sure there were probably times where you were like, I don't really want this show here tonight, but you were always nice and, and courteous. So thank you. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, everybody's going to start somewhere and, and, you know, at the time I thought you were going to become something, but, uh, but you it, know. That's, that's your first bad joke of the day. Now, for, we went from the guys at the bottom of the stairs there because of me to then slapping me on the way out, which I respect. You know, um, I mean, it's, 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 you know, I mean, everybody needs a chance and, and, you know, many people have given me lots of chances in this business. So there you go. Uh, COVID. Yeah. What did we learn? One thing bad, one thing good that has changed the way you think restaurants will move forward? Uh, bad is what's the staffing situation going to be? What's it going to be going forward? It was hard before COVID. It's, you know, like I like to say in the last two and a half years, I've had 10 applications, Yeah, you know, Yep, a yep. lot of that might be me, my personality, my attitude, but it's been a tough uh, road to hoe. What's good about it? Uh, people now accept bad service. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, tip it, better. It, what? And tip better. And tip better. It, it's it's you know. Uh, if I had to hear, you need to pivot more. You need to think out of the box. I'm a, I, at the time, I was a 60-year-old man who was gliding on my way out the door, and then all of a sudden, I got to work harder than I ever had in my life. And, and you know, my buddy, again, Tom Coghill at Iron Barley, that guy did everything to stay in business and, and you know, really worked himself to death. And I wasn't going to do that. I was like, you know... I don't know. It, it was just, it's, it's been the, the toughest two and a half years of my life. The last two and a half years. Give me a good, you and Tom on the road story. <laughs> oh boy. We had a lot of them. Oh, a great one. So we're in uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi. That's where highway 61 meets 49. And the story is Robert Johnson sells his soul to okay. the devil to learn mm -hmm. to play the blues crossroads. So we're at horrible this movie, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at this place called Red's Juke Joint. Now, Red's only has bottled beer, uh, bottled water sold out of igloo coolers. And inside the ceiling is this plastic sheeting that has this brown water in it because the roof leaks so bad and is full of dead mosquitoes. So out front are these uh, four or five black gentlemen in their 70s barbecuing and Coghill in his ever loving, knowing way said, right, you guys are all doing it, rah, 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 doing this wrong and, and goes and wants to give these guys lessons on barbecuing and they've been barbecuing before he was born. <laughs> and, and, and at the end of it, you know, in true Tom Kill Coghill fashion, 
I mean, he gives him this nice $300 solid wood cutting board and a couple knives. Yeah, put this stuff to use. You guys need this. And, and uh, you know, it was me, him, and a, uh, uh, his brother-in-law, Vince Mantia. We were on our way to New Orleans. Um, and uh, just uh, was this, fun, you know, typical Tom Coggill. <laughs> it was just like, uh, you know, rough, gruff. Uh, you wouldn't like him, and then he's the nicest guy in the world. He liked to cook with the torch, didn't he? Didn't he get the flame thing out? Yeah, his claim to fame was the Salzalk, breaking down a whole pig on uh, diners driving dives with a uh, Salzalk. That was, but yeah, he did use also a torch to finish things. You're still involved with the Roadhouse. When's the last day? Do you have an idea? Um, well, my Full-time last day is Sunday, but then I'm going to be here for big events and special events and uh, that kind of stuff, helping out and, um, you know, doing whatever I do. You're going to go full circle and get yourself a hot dog cart in Kirkwood? Uh, you know, I did have a hot dog stand in Kirkwood at one time called Frank and Patty's Hot Dog and Hamburg, just a little bit before it's time, you know. So, uh, no, you know, um, my ideal job is uh, noon, in case there's any uh, guys listening, noon to eight, casino bar at one of the casinos, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays, because in 48 years I haven't had weekends off, noon to eight. You know, put a little time, give me a little social interaction, and then uh, move on from there. So, last question. As you're on your bike, thinking about your career in the restaurant business, what do you think about? Uh, God, I should have listened to my dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think about what one of my buddies told me, but I can't say live. Um you know, it, I think it's like any business these days. Uh, the reason we got into it, we're, we're not doing right now. Uh, 90% of what we do now is not why we got into it. Right. You know, we got into it to be creative in the kitchen, to serve people, to get smiles from the guests. And man, the bullshit we have to do now is just... You know, it's it's changed so much, and I am glad I'm not 30 trying to get in this business. Oh, and that's a good time to sell, right? Yep. It is. And anybody looking for an unmotivated old guy, I'm your man. <laughs> that's a really long list, man. You're going to have to put something <laughs> together. Because, yeah. by the way, if you take old out of that, I'm right behind you. <laughs> yeah yeah that's my that's my resume and if someone said boy i hope you don't want to be a resume writer bill appreciate it man good catching up thank you appreciate it thanks and another one for the books everybody have a great memorial day weekend we will see you again as we do on thursday thanks for your time this time till next time so long